Hello and welcome to Eternal Turtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? It's going well with you as always. Yes, good to Today be back. Today we're going to be talking about Tales, Tales <laughs> of Middle-Earth, the cards that have seen competitive legacy success thus far. Yes. Uh, how long since the set has been out? Like It's only been a couple weeks, right? It has been almost two weeks. So two weeks. There's been uh, m- many an event online, a couple of paper events as well, that has shown that this set is a hit. It is a legacy hit on multiple cards, not just you know one marquee card. We we sort of saw this coming, but now we're seeing the, the, the fruits of that success starting to bloom and we're going to get into them yeah i think honorable mention we should say that we're just not going to be talking about orcish bowmasters this episode <laughs> we just don't need to yeah we don't need yeah to. we all we already know <laughs> everybody knew bowmasters from from the moment that it was spoiled everybody knew that it was going to be a playable card in legacy and it was going to change things and i think that the space on like where its best home is is still finding its way it's sort of in it's been in grixis delver shells it's brought death shadow like just straight blue black death shadow into the forefront of like top lists as You've well seen black splashes uh, in decks that weren't playing black before yeah, it's sort of the first fair black card, like the first main deckable fair black card that we've seen, what, since I can't even remember when. Dark Ritual, like ever since Uro got printed, black was sort of pushed into only being Dark Ritual combo decks if you wanted to play black competitively. The only real time you saw like sort of fair-ish style stuff was like when people would play like Dothy Voidwalker or, or like Opposition Colgan's Agent or whatever. Command, but you know? Usually that would be like paired in some some sort of combo deck that had a combo finish, not just like I'm trying to fair cards get you. And so black has been relegated to a combo card color since Uro's printing back, you know, what, in 2019 or something? Yeah, if you weren't playing uh, Death Shadow, you were playing a combo when you're playing Black, right? Yeah, yeah, and I feel like even, I feel like Death Shadow was also sort of anemic by comparison to Delver decks for a very long time. Granted, like, we just went yeah. through a couple of bannings, and so Death Same Shadow way. was like, come back in the forefront. But both Death Shadow and Grixis Delver have adopted Orgers Bowmasters into their 75, but both have seen success so far. So it's it's fun to see that black is sort of getting back into the mix as a color that's not just Dark Ritual Plus. Well, I think the first card we should talk about is the card that you were uh, the biggest champion of to begin with. In fact, you even got a shout out on uh, Eternal Glory last week, Council's Deliberation. Council's Deliberation showed up. Uh, Peter Vanderham, uh, he split a, was it a showcase? Was it a legacy challenge? I think it was a challenge. He split a challenge with three copies of Council's Deliberation and four preordain in his Grixis Delver list. It is more or less exactly what you think it is except he swapped Ponder for Preordain and played some Council's Deliberation and the extra card advantage plus all the incidents of value of like surveilling it and whatnot took him took him to the first challenge finals after the release of the set. That's like a baseline, right? It's like the baseline yeah. thing that you compare it with. I've been testing Council's Deliberation and I've also enjoyed it very much and I've only really used it with Preordain. Probably a lot more exploration to be had in terms of dumping that card to the yard without casting the front half. The incidental ability to go up cards in uh, blue soupish style stuff is probably uh, a little bit underexplored. Right now, you know, I don't think there's more to talk about that than constant deliberation. It's hitting exactly like we thought it would hit. And now it's just a matter of like how much of that will stay in that it's sort of packaged with preordain until we get more legacy playable scry cards. Unless there's some unless there's a legacy scry card that like we just haven't explored at all that's been off the radar that nobody has really uh, taken under. But I think that there is a world where the blue soup store sort of decks could ab- adopt that card in the future. Not as long as the one ring is around. And the one ring has really been the thing that's I, I feel like for the control decks has been the the marquee addition. There's actually been a couple for control decks, but in, in particular the one ring has been uh, showing up with Delighted Halfling and such. Should we get into that? Well, before we go too far into that, I just want to say, uh, you know, Chris Benucci, 90s MTG, uh, did a great job of showcasing you playing it uh, in his last roundup, where he, he I think you might have played three out of the four matches in that roundup. So you got a, you got a really good chance to see uh, how well Council's Liberation did for you and how 
much respect it got. Uh, I remember, uh, I think Roland surgical extracted it, uh, after, as you were casting pre ordained, so you didn't draw like four more cards off of it, you know? So, yeah, there was, there was, uh, I, th- I believe we'll have was, a link for that below too. Yeah, yeah, a couple links. Uh, <laughs> I, there, there, there were three rounds that I was on camera that, that night that we, I played with Council's Deliberation. Two of them I feel like I played really tight. One of the rounds when I played against Red Painter. Uh, a red black painter was splashing workers bowmasters. That was a little bit later in the the night, and I watched that video back and realized that I just wasn't playing around with anything. It was super sloppy. I was just like sort of turned off in that in in that one. In that like I I didn't play nearly as tightly as I could. But the other two matches are uh, good showcases for like master really class. Honestly, like the, really, the, watching really the back play, is yeah. tight play and 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 showing the power level of council's deliberation being able to grind. There was one instance where uh, preordained was just ancestral recall against uh, my blue painter opponent. Uh, it, it, it does show up. Like it, it, there are times where you're like, okay, I just cycled and that was it. And you know, the game, you, you don't get to the position, but I really only had preordains and snapcaster for preordain as my additional scries. And just the leveling up of those cards as the game went along was, was pretty impactful. And, yeah. uh, you can see that, uh, yeah, Benucci was uh, commentating on those matches and seeing it in play for the first time and being like, that was an ancestral. That's pretty good. Is it going to be format overhauling? No, but is it a great addition? to that space of card advantage, 100%. And yeah. I, I already have, I, I have alters in the mail, you know, like I, I'm, That's how you I'm know it's real. To, <laughs> I'm committed to, well, the thing is I'm committed to that card being essentially like the new better version of AK. Yeah. But in a way where they're only ever going to print more good scry cards, right? Like right now yeah. it's pretty much preordained and preordained is the best thing. But the second that there's another playable card that incidentally scries, it just for free levels up that, the that deliberations better, yeah. as well. And so I'm thinking about it like the same way that you think about Snapcaster, right? Like the second that Snapcaster will only ever get better. I mean, granted, like the power level can wax and wane depending on other things that they print. But if they give you another powerful card to flash back with Snapcaster, Snapcaster just gets more powerful. So the trajectory is that they can, he can only get more powerful with more cards that get printed. And I feel the same way about Council's Deliberation. The more incidental stuff that scries, the better incidentally having Council's Deliberation is going to be. I'm invested in it as like a, a long-term uh, card that to have in my collection. So, all right. So, yeah, let's talk about the One Ring. I think that people have just finally gotten a chance to, to play with it and recognize its power level. I mean, uh, for the most part, I've seen it show up in Legacy. It, it, I feel like it's it's becoming totally degenerate and modern. For legacy purposes, at least, I've seen it primarily in four color Uro decks with Halfling, Delighted Halfling, to make your Teferis and your Uros and your One Rings uncounterable and your Narsets and stuff. And it's really just like a mid range legendary style, you know, slam stuff deck. Uh, but One Ring is so overwhelmingly powerful. If anybody wants to see it, how, how strong it is in practice, uh, I know Anurag was streaming with four color One Ring, forget when, it, um, uh, fairly recently though. And I imagine that it's already up, it must be up in his VODs where his opponent had three active staff of the storytellers churning, churning out three active staff of the storytellers. Plus he had the monarch. So his opponent has the monarch and three active staff. He's drawing four cards and- a turn. Five cards a turn. And could not keep up with a single one ring. Yeah. It was insane. Like, it was an insane match where... And, and then Anurag was like, wait, okay, let me do the math. They paid two for each staff, plus paying for each uh, staff for each card. And so they're like, okay, so they paid 15 mana. They've drawn six cards. I've drawn... I've outdrawn them for my four mana. It's just like... It, the card is very, very, very powerful. And the fact that playing them in multiples just gives you upside because you can turn off the, the life loss. It, yeah. And usually... Usually that's, that's, that's your, your, your win condition is just finding the second one ring. Cause you play the first one, you fog them, 
then you untap, you get ancestral, and then any amount of those cards that are exchanged, and then you draw even more cards. And then the only thing that you need to do after that is not die to the burden counters on your first one ring. So you just cast the second one, fog them again, and then you don't necessarily need to ever activate it, and you're up half of your deck. It was, to where it, your it's like the Sphinx's Revelation mirror back th- during when that was in standard. It was like when your opponent finally gets a Sphinx's Revelation off, you just just scoop. It's it's done. You, you dr- he's it's drawn done. too many cards. You can't come back from that. Yeah, and I think the thing that flew under the radar for people where they were like, okay, so you pay four mana, you draw three cards. And I was like, ah, you pay four mana, but it does something that a lot of other four drops can't do, which is let you take the turn off. Yeah. Because you have protection, you you just you can't die. So you can take the turn off. Even if your opponent builds up your board, you will have Ancestral and have access to all of your mana to then deploy ways to stabilize again. The the play pattern of protection from everything, meaning that you get to take the turn off, it's not like you slam a, a, another four mana spell and then hope to uh, cross your fingers and hope to untap. You know, yeah. like you just you don't have to play the wrath you. and then get that down or like get that down and not and like take damage and then wrath. You know, you can. Yeah, exactly. As as long as you're confident that you can resolve the one ring, tapping out is not a drawback. Like it, it, you don't get punished for tapping out the same way that you would with any other type of uh, card that you're trying to stabilize with. Because the like, imagine if Jace the Mind Sculptor gave you protection. It's just like, well, in that case, it's insane. <laughs> what? You know? <laughs> get out of here. You, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like if I let, let's say I had a static yeah, mindset no, so when you crazy. cast Chase the Mind Sculptor from your hand when you cast Chase the Mind Sculptor, gain protection from everything until your next turn. It's I'm like well if I know one hundred percent that I'm fucking untapping, like and not dying, even if they remove the one ring, it will have replaced itself, right? Mm-hmm. Your board doesn't have protection, so they could theoretically still remove the one ring, but you're guaranteed to have the one ring replace itself and confirm that you're going to untap. Because the only cards that get around the protection from uh one ring, and I've seen people already speculating on like, are these cards are, are these cards considerations that should be and like now are <laughs> questing beast because damage can't be prevented, so it turns yeah. off protection. And Skullcrack? Uh, people play Skullcrack? Well, I've, I've seen uh, Stomp. I've seen Stomp. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Stomp yeah. The, uh, the Blood Crusher Giant. Part of the clause for Stomp on Bone Crusher Giant is damage can't be prevented. You can't target them with the Stomp, but you can either target something on their like board, your board, you. or yourself, yeah. and then damage can't be prevented, and then potentially and get in. in. Even though you, your opponent has protection, you can still attack them. They just won't take yeah. any damage. But if you can make it so that damage can't be prevented, then protection won't protect them those are the two those are the only two cards that i've seen that are like within the bounds of legacy playable that uh people are like okay well if i can combat the one ring in this way but at the same time every time i i I look at those kinds of texts i think you know we're reaching into cards that aren't good to beat the cards that are that was the problem with death run shaman i kept telling people like they're like oh just you know play this or that it's like no, this card's that good that like it doesn't matter if you play something to answer it because it's incidental. There's a certain threshold of power that once you can either you can either do the good thing or try and play the thing that beats the good thing. And oftentimes, trying to beat the good thing isn't going to be as good as being the good thing. Uh, like, Especially if you're not getting a payoff uh, for beating the good thing. A, a meta analysis as a whole is like the the meta that you are that if you're brewing a deck that you're trying to if you're trying to beat a meta game, you're beating the good stuff. And if you're playing the stuff that beats the good stuff, you may not be playing the good stuff yourself. And that's why the those decks never actually make it to tier status and you know a, a meta game viable deck. That stuff can win a tournament. You can spike a tournament if you call the meta game correctly. There, it, as opposed to something that becomes a mainstay, it's similar in that space. But the One Ring is super powerful, and you know, will, will it show up in more homes beyond like Four Color Delighted Halfling or Mystic Forge style 
you know, whatever nonsense that 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 is to be seen. But it, it could it, be as, as <laughs> proving itself as a legacy playable card that is like very very strong. Like it is a playable mythic. Yeah. That's that's determined. But at this yeah. point, don't be surprised. Uh, okay, so let's talk about uh, one that I called, and uh, you you kind of threw at me some of the best flavor text in uh, in Lord of the Rings. By the way, Sauron's ransom. Do you want to read the flavor text? Yeah, let's let's actually read the flavor text. What does the flavor text say? So Sauron's ransom is the it's the updated factor fiction it's one black blue so it's a three minute instant the first first off the ring tempts you we'll get into the ring tempts you because i've been playing with a i've been testing that mechanic in legacy and it's been pretty good so far but it's a it's a factor fiction so your opponent gets to look at the top four cards of your library and they split them into two piles one face down pile and one face up pile and then you get to choose which pile you want so there's some differences between factor fiction it's three mana instead of four they look at four cards instead of five you they don't turn both cards face up to both piles face up so you don't have perfect information you are the one who ultimately gets to choose which is why it's a very powerful effect and it showed up as a two of in uh, a top eight death shadow list and it's been showing up sporadically in other uh death shadow lists as well i haven't seen it outside of death shadow so far but it's it's been showing up as a two of in that list so let's read the flavor text real fast we can so we can assume that he here is actually referring to factor fiction he was dear to you i see and now he shall endure the slow torment of years wow yo wow. Yo, rip, they, rip they, to they, a real one, though. Rip to a real one, Factor Fiction. You, power, you, power you, were, creeps, in, you were in there for a minute. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, dude, it's it's wild that like three mana, basically, it's a three mana draw two at its worst, plus the ring tempts you. And I think that, that the plus ring tempts you and the fact that like it's a blind, it's a blind choose is is enough to just make this just playable. Um, do I think it's a four of card? I don't think so yet, but I think as people see how good this card is and as results come in, People are going to be experimenting more and more about being like, this is the cornerstone of the draw engine in my deck. So if you're not playing the like Council of Liberation preordained situation, this is, I think, where people might be headed. In specifically in, in Death Shadow, I think that works out well because you don't want to clutter your deck with too many, uh, too much air. You do want like, you do want ways to lose life. You want threats. You know, you want to get to the cards that uh, get you to, to the end of the game. I think there's some there, there's some amount of nuance to this card. I ordered some already. I, I, I had pre-ordered them when I knew that when cents. we had talked about it. Like, I, I was uh, yeah, <laughs> but also it was like very clear to me that like a three mana factor fiction is good because at the at the baseline it's a three mana instant speed draw to that gives you the ring tempts you, which is a, a meaningful mechanic in in some capacity. Just having played with enough factor fiction in my life and understanding how powerful that is in a deck that is trying to be reactive and find the right pieces when it needs it. The the, the, the difference between face-up piles and face-down piles is meaningful, but if you are playing a deck that is looking to do a specific thing, so in Death Shadow, if you need threats or answers, and then in Control, depending on the kind of answers that you need, you can look at the face-up pile, and if you cast the Sauron's Ransom at a time where you're like, I need to find this type of effect to solve the problem that I'm currently facing, if it's not in the face-up cards, you could just take the face-down cards. Yeah. It's very rare that your opponent's ever going to do anything other than a 2-2 split, right? Like, maybe there's there's some amount of game where they know that you're looking for one particular thing, and the top four cards of your deck don't deliver on that thing, and so they give you three face-up cards and one face-down card, and you know that the three face-up cards are not in the position that you need them, and so, unless you already have the answer in your hand, in which case you'll just take the three for one, you would just go for the face-down card, but in that position, it's not even like it was all that damaging, because you were looking for a specific thing, and that's like a ponder missing, right? Yeah. It's like, I need, I need my... my 
card advantage or my, my card selection spell to find me the thing that I need. And if it misses, it misses. But like in the positions where you already have the thing you need and it's clear to you both you and your opponent that the thing you need is the thing and then you flip over the cards and they're like, okay, I'm going to try and game them and you just three for one and then kill this shit anyway. It's like, that's really, really powerful. What about, and so I, I, have, a, I have a scenario where you might do something a little weird. What about a situation where I'm playing against you and I know you need a board wipe, right? And I look at the cards and what do you know? There are two of the, the two of the board wipe you need and some other cards. There is a chance that like you're gonna like I could do two and one, right? I know you're gonna take the board wipes, right? Like you're it's, it, 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 it would be a two two. It's four cards. Sorry, two. I could do two, I, I, two and one pile. Yeah. Is what I meant. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And, and and I know you're gonna find the board wipe, right? Like if you're looking for it, you're gonna you're gonna pick the pile that has that either has the card you need or don't pick the pile that doesn't have the card you need, right? But I could go, well, you're going to get it anyhow. You might as well only get one card, right? And if I show you the board wipe and three other cards, but I know you need the board wipe, at least you only get one card? Right. In which what case, you your, your, in which case, your selection piece, like, yes, that's a way to do it. If it's very yeah. clear that, that, that there's one specific thing needed, it's good to limit the amount of uh, raw cards that your opponent will get, even if they do find the answer. But in that position, as the Sauron Ransom player, it's like, okay, well, it not only found me what I need, but some of the stuff that they dumped into your graveyard on the other thing might also have incidental value reasons. as well. Because like, they, they, it goes <laughs> to your, like, correct, correct me if I'm wrong. Please, it goes to your graveyard. It goes, goes to your graveyard. graveyard. Yes. So like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. is a valuable place for cards yeah. to go. That's where we and like it, to have stuff. It, it, so it's not like there, there can other, be the advantage in it. <laughs> and there's, there's something to be said about ring temps you being, not being totally meaningless. I've played recently. I've been testing St- Sam Stouthearted, Samwise the Stouthearted. Yeah. It's the Flash 2-1 Sam that when it ETBs, you pick back a permanent that left the battlefield this turn, and then the ring tempts you. And that card has been pretty good in like my style of deck of like, at a baseline, you can go uh, on your turn two, you have land fetch, up, go. And then somewhere on your turn or end step, I can just crack the fetch, flash in Sam, pick up the fetch, and I have now um, first step in the ring tempts you, and I've recouped my fetch, and it's just like a nice way to like ensure that I hit my land drops through development. And then the ring feels very similar to what Stoneforge Mystic would do of like picking you up an equipment, except it doesn't take space in your deck. Now, what I've learned though, is that there are three rooms that matter in the ring, like three levels of the ring temps you that matter. And one that's more or less insignificant. So for those who haven't tried it yet, the first stage, which just gives your, um, effectively it gives your creature, your ring bearer skulk. So they can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. And it makes that creature legendary. Now that's meaningful. If, you're on a board with a planeswalker or something and you need to get in and chip at the planeswalker. Like if they have something protecting their planeswalker, you can get underneath it. The second part of it though is the legendary status that your ring bearer acquires means that you can start caracasing or picking up other like me specifically, I picked that up my snapcaster with yeah. I picked up my snapcaster with a caracas multiple times and it was very powerful. Like it, it it is as good as it sounds. So like incidentally the ring tempts you. Like let's say like it may not do anything over a course of a game in a control deck playing Sauron's Ransom. But you could I could easily see an Esper control deck that's like, okay, I'm gonna play some amount of Snapcasters and some amount of Sauron's Ransom. And if I have a Snapcaster on the table and I have Caracas, I can Sauron's Ransom, find a bunch of stuff make my Snapcaster legendary, pick it back up, continue that chain of card advantage. Like, that's not un, un, that's not an invaluable sequence, considering that Caracas also has a lot of defensive targets. Like, you can bounce an opponent's Emery, or or bounce their opponent's Minsk, or bounce their Uro. Like, 
it is a bounce the grizzle brand as, as a way that they can't, they don't recoup life, uh, after they, after they've hit it. I mean, you're going to be clawing back in that situation, but it's still nice to be able to remove it from the table and have to have to make them go off again. You know, it is a valuable set of cards that the ring tempts you already incentivize you to play anyway. Now, the other rooms that are powerful in the ring tempts you is the looting ability. Obviously, that's the second stage of the ring tempts you. So it has to tempt you twice. Once your ring bearer is a looter, looting is good, right? Card selection is good. It's forever going to be good. There's never going to be a time where you're not going to want to be able to draw a card and improve your hand in some capacity. The third room is the one that feels the most anemic to me in the testing that I've done. The third room says whenever the ring bearer oh, is yeah. blocked, they, your opponent sacrifices that creature at the end of combat. Now, if they're in a position where your smaller ring bearer is trading with their card and they are then sacrificing it, it they are so it far behind somehow. because, yeah, they're <laughs> blocking it because they're otherwise dead. And so it yeah, doesn't well, the matter. Thing is, that, they, is that, you know, that they probably can't block it with something big because it's got skull. Right. It's already difficult <laughs> it's like, to block. And then if they do block it and the, the creature, the, either the creature would have died anyway, or they would have died and therefore need to block. And so the, all of us, like, unless you're playing some sort of trick that compels them to block in some way, yeah. that room is more or less empty. <clears throat> uh, yeah. But then the fourth room is very good. Yeah. The attacking on a lava spike when they hit every time. So in the testing that I've done with Sam the Stouthearted, the difference between you chunking for two and chunking for five big, is significant. Big yeah. Big, big difference. Well, that's that, the perfect thing that's is where like it, watching you on 90s and TG, you had like the, a couple of turns where you were like running in with two Snapcasters. It, it, four damage felt great and all, but like when your opponent was at 20, seven damage would have felt real. Where That's where I had that sort of revelation that this is, that Sam is that hearted or the ring tempts you with cards that just granted to you incidentally on top of, of an effect that you already want is very similar to how Stoneforge Mystic just picks up a card out of your deck. The ring feels like an equipment. The thing is that it feels like the payoff is the best rooms are one, two, and four. The third room is sort of meaningless. And so I felt that the the times where the ring tempts you was actually overwhelmingly powerful against my opponents was when I got to the full, the full power, yeah. the full powered ring. That's when I was like, oh, I effectively have unblockable chunk you for five every turn. And it just locks in a clock because they can't get rid of the ring because it's another uninteractable mechanic that they can't touch. It's not like they can strip it from you the way that somebody could take the initiative, you know, yeah, or yeah. take the monarch. They Both can't take your can ring. Have it. Yeah, exactly. So once you've loaded up the ring, then every time then either your ring bearer is already a, a very good threat because it's a theoretically unblockable looting haymaker. Or the next time you have a threat and temp again, you have now suited up your creature. Like you effectively equip for free when you, if you think about the next, the ring tempts you effect, think about it as paying for an equip cost. It, it's, it's been very good. It's been very good. I would say that if you lean into that space, you really want to lean into having enough ring tempts you, like a, a, a surplus of ring tempts you to, in order to maximize the full ring. And so Sauron tempting you, my first place that I want to go into it is Esper because you want Caracas. So if I already want that, so now I'm thinking, okay, maybe there is a control deck that is leveraging Sam and Sauron's Ransom as ways to tempt the ring with like Snapcaster Mages and like maybe other ETB effects. Hey, looking at you, Arcus Bowmasters, like you have this very flash centric instant speed sort of Esper deck that can get a lot of incidental value and level up these like little two mana dorky beaters into like legitimate threats. And you just don't have to play like your Stoneforge Mystic package. That's a space that I'd keep an eye on. It's a space that I'm going to be exploring a lot more once I actually have the cards in my hand. But I think that that's a space that so far is underexplored. Uh, all right. Well, uh, another one that we called uh, that is seeing play in main decks. Cast into the fire. Cast into the fire. Uh, 
good incidental modal spell. And if the one ring is going to be as powerful as we think it is, then having the exile clause. But, you know, one of the best decks is a cast and blue painter and having a way to exile artifacts is good with between uh, Emery and Goblins recurring. It's pretty much exactly what we thought it was. I don't think also, that was a surprise. I feel like complete. everybody thought that. Hello, Conjure Complete. Yeah, yeah. Indestructible artifact. That I just everybody, mean that like nobody knows is indestructible because you're just like I guess I just lost that card. Yeah, there's too there's too many words of text on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I I I lost to Cauldra recently because I forgot that it, it has first strike. <laughs> yeah, I forget who that was against, but I think it was at the SEG Baltimore. Yeah, but yeah, they, they were like, okay, first. I, I think I blocked it with a triumph, thinking that I would trade, gain the life, and then yeah. be at a, a a good board position because I the blanked the combat and then I was miracle again. And the exact opposite happened yeah. where they were like, uh-huh. okay, so first strike. And I was like, it gets removed from the game. What doesn't it have? What does it have? <laughs> also and removes I, so, Catherine so, so, from the so, game. So, so, so then I, so no, no, first strike, it, 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 it'll die. So the trigger will go on the stack. It, so the, okay. the exile clause happens okay. if it doesn't, if a creature doesn't die. Okay. But th- that was irrelevant anyway. Cause like, okay, I, I didn't gain the life like I thought I was. And, and so now I you're dead. But, but <laughs> I, then I, then I had to pick up the cauldra and then I had to turn the pages, uh, in its text box to like make sure that I understood everything that it said. Anyway, the, the, yeah, cast in the fire has shown up and has done exactly what we thought it was. I don't think that that was particularly different from what anybody else in the community thought when they yeah. saw the card. They knew what it was going to do. It has proceeded to do that in the role that we expected it to be in, and it's doing it well. So well, there you to go. paraphrase what I said in, in, in the video, is having this in your deck, especially in your 75, makes your deck more well-prepared against every other deck because then you don't have to put slots in your deck to do both of these things, Right. You yeah. already have and a slot that does both these things in one card instead of doing it with two cards. The other the other piece of value, too, is it is a card that if you're expecting a metagame to be flush with, like, Grixis, Orcish Bowmasters, eight cast as a top deck, or Blue Painter as a top deck, or Death Shadow with Bowmasters as a top deck, any of these other things. Like, Cast in the Fire is uniquely very good against all that stuff because, A, it's good against all the artifacts, obviously. It says Exile Target Artifact on it. But also, it can clean up a Bowmasters by itself. The final card uh, that is seeing play is Fourth Aeolingus. So this is the red-white X. Uh, you create X red human knight tokens that are two twos with trample and haste. And whenever a creature deals combat damage this turn, be- you become the monarch, right? That's what. That's yeah. more or less what it reads? Okay. Some interesting things about this card that when I first saw it was spoiled. Okay, it's the cheapest way that we've ever been able to get monarch ever. And it showed up in like Boros Initiative in its first week. Literally at SEG Baltimore, I played against it. My Boros Initiative uh, opponent cast it against me. I've been seeing it show up in like four color control and some other control lists. I've seen it show up in Jeskai Delver. Uh, because if you go turn one threat, turn two X a zero for Serolingus and attack, mm-hmm. you become the monarch. So it is a two mana way to become the monarch. Because Which is the, big in Delver. If you can just the, draw an extra card every turn. Yeah, because the way that you become the monarch is not tied to the knights hitting. It's tied to a creature hitting. Which is different. So it's the yeah. cheapest w- version of Monarch we've ever seen. Playable. I think the previous one, the previous cheapest way was like mm. a three mana enchantment or something that like taps down a creature. And then the only other, other one was like Palace Jailer saw some play, maybe Queen Marquesa, but those are four drops. So this is a two drop that can give you the Monarch. So I've seen it in Red Painter. I'm uh, not Red Painter. I'm sorry. Uh, Boris Initiative. I've seen it now in Jeskai Delver as ways to get cheap card advantage. And I've seen it show up in four color control. A couple of things. I'm going to, I'm going to quote Anurag who messaged me, said, Phil confirming that fourth Aerolingus is the fire entreat. Fire design entreat the angels is what he is pitching to me. Now, okay. I'm going to be testing fourth Aerolingus. I haven't personally tested it in Miracles myself yet. I've seen it show up in four color control and all of the people that have played it so far have been impressed. They say it's very good. 
and it's done a lot of very powerful things for them, particularly because it solves the problem in that you having hasty threats means that you can chunk down a static walker. So you can hit a Teferi or hit a Narset uh, without having to give the turn cycle back, in which case they continue to stabilize. You can just get rid of it immediately. In those matchups, getting the Monarch, if the board is going to be more or less empty, is pretty powerful. Here's one thing that I didn't think about when the card was spoiled and when I was talking about it with people, that it might be more powerful than I am than I thought for control decks. Now, I'm so tainted by initiative. I thought the second that for a control deck, any piece of cardboard that introduces a uh, mechanic that you cannot interact with, it in- if, it, if it introduces the initiative, I don't want it in my, de- in my deck, right? If it introduces the monarch, I'm thinking I don't want it in my deck. The second that my opponent takes it, if I can't remove it without going through combat, which means that I would have to have a creature already on board, or they're going to get an overwhelming advantage by the time that I do, that I can even contest over it. It's like, those are nightmare scenarios for a control list. I just don't yeah. want that anywhere near me. Get that shit away from me. You're basically and just so giving I, your opponent a planeswalker. You don't want that. So when, when people, yeah, when people were like, Phil, what do you think about, uh, Aragorn, King of Gondor, which is a, a lifelink vigilance ETB become the monarch? They were like, is this just a, a, a condensed batter skull that gives you the monarch? Well, it seems pretty good. It's a four, 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 four. So it's literally batter skulls text, uh, plus gives you the monarch. And then people were like, hey, fourth Aerolingus, it gives you the Monarch and also like makes you a bunch of tokens. It's like kind of close, right? And I was like, get the Monarch shit away from me. Get these uninteractive, emblem-based, nonsensical mechanics in 1v1 the fuck out of here. I want nothing to do with them. And then I was thinking, and as, as I thought more about fourth Aerolingus, it says whenever the creature does combat damage, you could just cast it for however, however big X is, make a bunch of tutus. If you attack down their Planeswalker, you don't get the Monarch. You have to deal combat damage to yeah. a player. If you don't want to introduce the monarch, let's say you're not in a position where you're like the, the board to. is the, yeah. the board is not stable, and I don't want to introduce the monarch to the game. You don't have to. Yeah, that's the, I didn't think that far. I didn't think when it was first spoiled. I was so tainted. I was so biased. I was like, I don't want any of this. I want nothing to do with this. That I was like, oh wait a minute, you can just make it an X. You know, it's it's um, what's that blue white battle that we discussed in the spoiler for um, March of the Machines? It's the blue white battle that makes X knights. That yeah. with vigilance, it is blue white. It's a battle that's just blue white X make two two vigilant yeah. knights, and we were like, ah, it, the the rate on it is way worse than entreat. <clears throat> I'm just gonna play entreat. I can't yeah. mystic sanctuary it back. It's like, eh, what am I gonna do with this? It's just way worse. But the difference of haste in particular solving the problem of attacking down opposing walkers in a control battle is super meaningful. And the fact that that doesn't necessarily turn on the monarch if you don't want it is where I'm like, okay, now I'm interested in testing this card. Not because- to mention, there's just gonna be times where you you know, you quote unquote miracle this and kill your opponent. Yeah. yeah. If you, 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 you know? could just be like, okay, tap six <clears throat> mana, make eight power attack you. You're dead now. Like that's, that's a totally reasonable thing that could happen. Right. Yeah. But like in, in the spots where you're like, okay, you have cast a, a Teferi. If I was on the play, hit my fourth land drop, cast four Saralingus. If it resolves, I get to take uh, either attack down your Teferi to the point where it's not going to be able to bounce either of my tokens. And they're going to have to either spend a bunch of removal spells for fighting over my board or if you plus on the, or you minus the Teferi and drew a card, then I can make two tutus, attack down the Teferi and attack you and then recoup the card that I lost because now I'm the monarch. And if yeah. you don't have a creature on board, then you're not taking the monarch back. So it represents another card next turn. And so now I'm at, uh, I'm, I'm plus cards against your Teferi line, even though I was on the play, even on the draw in that scenario, you can just make a tutu and attack down the Teferi if they minus. And so they're going to have to think more strategically about how they're using their Teferi. And then yeah. similarly, if, against an opposing Narset, if they minus the Narset and you're in the first scenario where you're on the play, you can just attack down the Narset. And if you're on the second scenario, you can attack the Narset down to one so they can't get the second card. I and think, now they have to deal with the Knight. I think one of the really kind of great things about this set in particular is it's changing a lot of the heuristics 
for how we uh, how we like autopilot our games, right? Like, yeah, you know, obviously you don't just you don't just jam a brainstorm anymore, right? Like, can't do that anymore. And like, I think a lot a lot of the people who play Tefri and Narset are going to have to think about whether or not they want to go down to one on those, or or if uh, you know. Uh, incidental point of damage from Bowmasters or Fourth Erlingus, several other cards, is going to be enough to to not give them the advantage they want because the true advantage in those cards is the uninteractability that they offer uh, your opponent. Yeah, the, the static prison pieces are really where they are the most damaging, but then the fact that they go up cards means that even when yeah. you deal with them, you're so far behind. But now there's uh, a couple of these cards that get to interact in meaningful ways where Bowmasters produces two bodies or pings. So like you can either check their walkers or put them in a bad position. Like if they play a Narset and minus it uh, down to three uh, with the minus ability on the stack before they can find a removal spell, unless they're already tapped out and it's turn three, you can flash in the Bowmasters, ping it. And now you have two power on the table to take it down. Pretty good. Similar yeah. with a Teferi. If they minus it, Bowmasters comes in, pings it. A Force Aerolingus can, uh, can attack it down. It, 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 these cards, while being very good in their own right, are also very good against a lot of the stuff that made games pretty much uninteractive and sort of shut off a lot of what you could have been doing. I have to test one with Fourth, Aer- Fourth, Aer- Fourth Aerolingus. Am I pronouncing it right, Aerolingus? Fourth Aerolingus. 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 I'm, I'm going to test with it and I'll report back. So far, everybody else in like Blue White X realm has told me that it's very, very good. Uh, I am. I am convinced by what they have told me so far and watching them play it that the card is good. I'll tell you how it, how it goes in, in my actual testing when I have the cards in my hand. Uh, yeah. I, I was extremely right cold on it are, before. All are, are making chatter about I'm, it, you know? Yeah, I, I, I was cold on it before for the wrong reasons. Uh, and I'm, I've sort of opened my, my mind a little bit to uh, it potentially just being a very good role player. It's going to be really hard for me to give up my angels, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we've got one last card that has not seen play yet that I think is going to see play. And it's just a matter of time. People just haven't figured out a spot to put it in yet. And that is Flame of Honor. Yeah, Flame of Honor is the modal spell that lets you choose two options if you control a wizard. So you can either draw two cards, deal five to a creature, or uh, destroy an artifact. It Right now, it hasn't really seen play because there's been other spots being contested. For I mean, if you're playing the three drops, you're probably it's probably the three drops that you're moving into with delighted halfling, right? That you're curving into on those. Salon's ransom has shown up, but that's because it was fortunately in the colors, colors that a deck mirror, was yeah. already looking for. But Sauron's ransom also doesn't ask anything else of you. I mean, you can leverage the ring tempts you if there's a way to do it, but otherwise that's flavor text. Yeah. You're looking for the factor fiction. But uh, Flame of Anor, while being good in that at a baseline. It's a it's a modal spell which is good, but it's also a three minute uh, an instant speed draw two. Uh, it's a three minute instant speed divination, which is not nothing. It's a good baseline, but in order for it to be, uh, you know, actually powerful, it's competing in the same space as like Archmage's Charm. Uh, yeah. And if you're in that sort of space, like it, they're both three minute draw twos, but Archmage's Charm interacts in different ways that might be more meaningful, like it being a counter spell as opposed to a removal spell. The being able to steal a CMC of one or less means that you can like take an opponent's creature as opposed to removing it. Uh, you can take an opponent's shadow spear or whatever instead of destroying it. So there's some similarity there. I mean, there's a difference of like chalice, but you may not care about the chalice at that time. I think the the real way to leverage this card is that you need to have the wizard. And right now, the the only playable wizard in that space that anybody's really thought about is Snapcaster Mage. There isn't really any other one. I mean, Bowmasters has made its way into Delver. So even if you have the unflipped Delver, like you're not going to be looking to this three drop. Like that's just not the space that Delver wants to be in. So 
right now, I think the limiting factor for this card is playable wizards. Playable that you, wizards. That you, there will be more. I, we know there will be there, more. There's going to be more. Yeah, I, I, I thought mean, there would be many more in this set. Honestly. I think that the yeah, that's true. There isn't any playable wizards really in this set. Uh, there's a lot of cards that I thought would have been wizards, but are nobles instead. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff like that. The witch king I think of that Ang- the, Angmar I, is, I is mean, obviously I, a king, not a witch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I have I have ordered a set of Flame of Anors. Like I'm I'm convinced that it will be a reasonable card to, to have in your collection. It's super cheap, also it's like a buck or something. Yeah. But once there is a, I, I think the threshold is there has to be wizards that you would play even if you didn't have Flame of Anor in your deck. Correct. Like, yeah. It's it's not going to be good enough if you have to reach for something you otherwise like, wouldn't play. What do you think if if uh, uh, Saint Catherine was a wizard? Would you would you like really think about this? I would test it for sure. Yeah. yeah. One thing I'm I'm just gonna check really quick about a uh, card type. Okay, so I was I was checking if Fairy Mastermind was a fairy wizard. It's not. No, it's he's a rogue. rogue. Uh, he's a yeah, rogue. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. there, there there there's some space in that. Like there is, um, you know, I, I I was thinking, oh, maybe Flame of Anor is your way to move into red for fairies, and then the like, the big one would have been there, but... uh, years ago. We used to play Vendillion Click, but we just don't play Vendillion Click anymore, and that's a wizard. Um, yeah, Vendillion Click time has long be, passed. Used to be some wizards that we played, but uh, I think you know even Snapcaster uh, is popularity is is way some well i yeah i think that i think snapcast is still good don't get me wrong yeah no no i'm uh, not saying it's bad by any yeah, 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 yeah. It, 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 there's a lot more as powerful, it once was yeah yeah there's there's a lot more powerful things to do and a lot of the space that it was in before as like additional removal spells or whatever have been covered by the fact that there are more good removal spells the addition the, the copies five through whatever that snapcaster played a long time ago have just been covered by now it can just be the spells five through whatever that you actually wanted yeah uh but I think right now the only playable wizard really in the deck that would want Flame of Anor is Snapcaster, and that's the limiting factor. Once that yeah. changes, Flame of Anor will see more play in the future. I think that's a more of a long-term spec. It's dependent on them printing. We're going back, we're going back to Wilds of Eldraine. Like there's going to be knights and wizards, and I'm sure we'll get, we'll, we'll probably see a playable wizard in there that we'll get to experiment with. But until then, uh, it'll probably, Flame of Anor will sit in your collection, but it's worth having in your collection, I would say. I think that's the set I'm the most excited about. Like the, the next, the next plane that they travel to that they've talked about is, is going back to Eldraine, because that, that seems like the most fun. In, in my realm of like what I like, like fantasy to be is, is like the King Arthur style fantasy. Shakespearean mm-hmm. fantasy uh, to mm-hmm. me is to me is a blast. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, yeah, there you have it. There's there's five cards uh that you should you should own and a six that y- you might as well pick up. Yeah, those are cards that I I have uh pre-ordered copies of all of them, I believe. Let me double check that I I I am not lying to people. I'm sorry, I have not picked up one rings yeah. myself yet. They're a little a little too expensive for my blood. I all one, of the other one cards ring. that I want to test. All, all of the other cards that I want to test, I'm I'm prioritizing until you know one ring settles down a little bit from yeah. like the modern PT and stuff. But yeah, you should all all just pick up these cards. They're all super cheap outside of the one ring. And for their yeah. lingus is picked up. I think it's it's more expensive than it's when, like I, six when bucks I got them. Now? Yeah. No, no, no. It was it's six bucks. Twenty now bucks. Like, now it's like twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. pick up the precon. Uh, Get the precon. Yeah, exactly. Sell off the precon yeah. to to someone who also, wants to play with the precon. Also, that stuff might also like might be early hype, right? Like people yeah. recognize that the card is playable in a couple of different shells, so now everybody wants them. So like, there's the flood of like, okay, okay now we don't want it. Currency converter back out. effect. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I think like g- given the amount of time, like there might be uh, some amount of of trailing trending down for those for those yeah. prices, but they're all playable. So good yeah. luck to everyone out there. All right. Well, uh, that does it for us this week. Have a good one, everybody.